back to your seats. We are going to get started. If you are uh, a guest with us this morning, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series on the book of Genesis, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, maybe under the seat in front of you. Uh, verses will eventually be on the screen, but I do encourage you to open up a Bible or get an app on your phone and whatever you use and turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Let's start reading in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So let us come and go down, and they're confused their language, so that they may understand, may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language over all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, it's good for us to stop and just be still for a moment and to acknowledge and confess our need for you this morning. And so we do that. We confess that we need you and we need your spirit to come and give us eyes to see and convict our hearts and Help us to see the futility and the foolishness of seeking to make a name for ourselves, for seeking to have our name praised by those in our lives. That at the end of the day, the value and the worth and significance we're looking in the praise of men will not satisfy our hearts. For we were created for one purpose, and that is to make your name great. So, Father, help us to see the significance of that this morning, and help us to see the beauty and the worth and the value of who we are now as a result of what Christ has done, that you would move the truth from our heads to our hearts, that it would change everything about us and the way we live. We ask this 
In Jesus' precious name, amen. So at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, we see this heartbreaking reality between God and the people that he created. Now, I cannot begin to imagine the pain that God must have felt as he looked over the face of the earth and saw what he saw. So as God looked over the face of the earth, God saw his creation, human beings, the ones that he loved the most. The ones that he created to be infinitely happy and secure in his presence. The the ones that he created and prized the most, human beings. He saw us, human beings, striving and desiring to be our own gods. So as we have seen in our short time in the book of Genesis, we have seen the depravity of humanity was so deep and so destructive that it caused God to grieve that he even created human beings. So like a good and loving father whose child says to him, I don't, I don't need you anymore. I don't love you anymore. I don't need your protection. I don't need your provision. I don't desire to be even in your presence anymore. I'm I'm leaving. I mean, if you have kids, imagine one of your kiddos saying this to you. I don't love you anymore. I don't need you anymore. I don't even desire to be in your presence anymore. I'm leaving. This would crush you. And this would cause the deepest pain and the deepest grief to rise up in the deepest part of your being. This is what we have done to God. Rejecting our creator and running from him, desiring to live a life on our own, on our own terms, seeking to be our own God. This is not only the greatest tragedy of creation, but it's the very nature of evil itself. But in the heart of God, Amazingly, in the heart of God lies this fountain, this endless fountain of mercy and love, which caused God not to give up on humanity. This fountain of mercy and love overflowed, causing God not to give us what we deserve, which is total extinction. Instead, he started over. So through Noah and his family, God gave us a second chance. But it's really, really, really clear in this passage that even after the flood, nothing changed within the human nature. And we see at the core of the hearts of human being people, you and me, we see that at the heart of us lies this deep and dark desire to be God. And we see this desire come out very, very clearly in verse four. The desire to make a name for ourselves. You see, this is reserved for God alone. You and me, all of the the people on the face of the earth, we were created for one purpose, and that is to glorify the name of our creator. So you and me and every person that woke up this morning, God created us for one purpose, and that is to make his name great and not ours. 
And so every single one of us that have come into this place this morning, we come into this place with this desire looking for purpose and, and meaning in life. We're looking for value. We're looking for significance. We're looking for worth. And this is it. We were created, we exist not to find our joy, not to find our value, not to find our significance and making our name great, but we exist and we're created for one purpose, to find our joy and satisfaction and significance in his name and praising his name. But the reality is this, we have believed a lie. Just like the people in the land of Shinar building this tower and this great city for the sake of their name, we too have believed this lie which says, you want to be happy? You want to be significant? You want to matter in this world? You want value? Then find it in the praise of people. Find it in your accomplishments. So deep down in our hearts, we believe this lie. The world tells us this lie. Our culture is pushing us in this direction all the days of our life, which says in order to be great, in order to be significant, in order to matter in this world, to have value and worth, we must build towers of accomplishments in our life, right? Above all, to matter in this world, to have value and worth and significance, Seek to make a name for yourself. This is what the t story of the Tower of Babel is all about. Striving and seeking to find significance and value and worth by what you do. Now, what did the people do? They built a great city, didn't they? They built a great city and they built a tower to heaven. And so scripture tells us that they said to, to themselves, collectively, they came together and said, let us make some bricks and let us take these bricks and let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top into heavens to make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The people in the land, the plain of, of Shinar, they, they, they set out to make something great for the sake and praise of their name. So it started with one brick, right? Which it usually always does. Starts out with one brick and then another brick and then another brick. And then before you know it, they have built this massive stair-like structure up into heaven. And the structure was called a ziggurat, which was a temple. And so during this time, people would create these, these stair-like structures up to heaven to ascend and make sacrifices to the gods and that gods would be able to, to descend to earth. But their intentions and their motivation in this text is very, very, very clear. They had no desire to build this great structure to be in the presence of God. They had no longing for him. It wasn't like they said to, to, to one another, come and let us build this massive structure because we long to be in the presence of our creator. We, we miss being in his presence and we long to be near him. That's not what they did. They, they didn't say, let us build this, this, uh, this great task and do this great accomplishment for the glory and the greatness that reflects the greatness of our God. Instead, what they do 
They set out to build this tower for the glory of their name. They built it for themselves. They built it in order to get this, uh, this desire for significance, but also they built it out of this fear of being insignificant. But their motivations and their intentions were clear. They were looking for value and worth and significance in their name and their accomplishments. So think about this for a moment. Think about your name. What do you desire people to say about your name? So when people hear your name, when they think of you, what do you want them to to think about? For many of us here this morning, including myself, we are consumed by what other people think of us. We are so consumed by it that it begins to affect everything that we do. And for many of us, we are so enslaved by the thoughts of others that we lie awake in bed. We can't sleep because we're worrying about what other people think about us in our name. We have this longing for significance. And so we set out to build towers of accomplishments in our lives for the sake of our name and for the sake of our own praise. I mean, think about your careers. Why do you work so hard? Is it driven out of this desire to make a name for God or is it driven out of this desire to be seen as great? Do you work hard so that others would praise you for your competence and your accomplishments? I mean, do you work long hours at the expense of your family for the sake of the praise of your name and your colleagues and your employer? I mean, do you find yourself longing for significance and value and worth? And so you look to your career and your position and your title to give you this. How's it working out for you? Are you satisfied? Is it ever enough? I mean, maybe for just a moment, right? Maybe just for a moment when we, when we get the praise and the recognition that we long for, but it fades away, doesn't it? And we find ourselves off to build a Towers of Babel through other accomplishments in our lives in order for us to get the praise and for the sake of our name to feel valued and to feel we, we're, we matter in this world to have significance. What about social media? Are you consumed with social media to make a name for yourself? Do you want others to see how great you are and so you post the most insightful and mind-blowing posts that this world has ever, ever seen and heard before in hopes that people will see you as significant and important? I mean, what happens when people like that? And what happens when people follow you? And what happens when, you know, people talk about your posts and your experiences? It doesn't make you feel a little significant, important, doesn't it? But just for a moment, and then it fades away, and you're off to post something more in hopes that people will like it. But what happens when there's silence? That's the worst part, right? When no one notices you, when no one hears you, When you feel like you don't matter, you're off to post something else in hopes that people may like it. Listen, as I stand before you this morning, I confess this, that there lies this deep, dark, depraved desire in my heart to be praised by you. 
I have this desire to make a name for myself. When people talk about me, when they hear my name, my desire is that they would say, man, have you heard that guy preach? Now, listen, there's nothing wrong for us desire to be good at something, right? Like it's good to strive at excellence in every, everything that we do. Whatever we do, it's good to strive uh, for, for excellence. But listen, when my greatest desire becomes to preach in order for my name to be praised, that's wicked. To desire my glory above the glory of Christ, that flows from a dark and depraved heart that grieves my heavenly Father. But this is the battle that rages within my soul. It rages because... At the deepest part of my being, I I long for praise. I long to be praised because if I am praised, then that means that I matter in this world, that I have value, that I'm significant. But there's also something else going on deep within my soul. Not only do I long to be significant, but I've got this fear of being insignificant. I have this fear of being a failure because I don't know what affects me most. Someone saying to me, man, that was a great sermon, or that was terrible. That was so unhelpful. You did not help me see the beauty and worth of Christ. At times, I'm consumed by both this desire for significance and this fear of being a failure, this, this fear of being insignificant. Does this describe you? Maybe you're not as concerned about your name being great as you are as being seen as a failure. So maybe you're not as concerned and and concerned about the praise of your name. Instead, you are consumed by the thought of others seeing you as a poor mother because you can't control the behavior of your kids. And so you live with this constant fear and you're just enslaved by what other people think of you because you have this fear that you won't be the mom that others expect you to be and what you expect yourself to be. Or you live with this fear that your, your wife will just see you as an okay husband and not the husband that she desired you to be when she first married you. You're just going to be a decent husband. Or I'm just going to be a decent pastor. You're just going to be an average student. We live with this constant fear that no matter what we do, it will never be good enough. We'll never be the mom that we read about on those mom blogs, right? You never will be. And it's okay, as we will see in just a moment, it's okay that you're not. You're never going to measure up in the eyes of your spouse I got this feeling I'll never be the pastor I long to be. So if we all just stop for just a moment and we take a deep look within ourselves, many of us find this fear and it's consuming and it's enslaving that we'll never measure up and be good enough. But you know, at the end of the day, here's the truth about all of this, the desire for significance and this fear of being insignificant at the heart of both. You know what lies there? Us, Right? It's all about us. It's all about your name. It's all about my name. We find ourselves consumed and concerned about us, me, and you. And so, like this never ending emotional roller coaster, it never stops. 
So either we find ourselves off to accomplish greater and better tasks for the sake of our praise and value and worth and significance, or we just continue to anxiously try not to fail and be good enough in the eyes of others. Because just like the people in the land of Shiner, listen very closely, we too have believed the lie that our value and worth and significance is always, 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 always based on what you do. If you perform well, build a tower of accomplishments in your life, you fail less often, maybe you'll go unnoticed, which some of you being unnoticed is, 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 is what you desire. Others, accomplishments equal value, worth, you're, you're, you're somebody, you matter in this world. It's exhausting, isn't it? And it never seems to satisfy because no matter what you do, the praise of people will never, ever, ever, ever be enough. And no matter how hard we try, the voices of others and ourselves will never stop. And so we find ourselves this morning longing to hear a voice. We long to hear a voice which says to us, no matter what you do, and no matter how often you fail, you matter to me. Please tell me there's a voice that says this, right? Please tell me there is a voice which says, I value you, not because of your accomplishments. You are significant in my eyes, even though you may not be in the eyes of others and, may you, and not in the eyes of yourself. Please tell me there is a voice which says that you matter. I value you. You are significant based not on what you do or even who you are. You long to hear this voice? a voice that comes to you and silences all the other voices that you listen to, the voices of others and the voices of yourselves, which is the hardest to silence. There is a voice, my friends. There is a voice that is more powerful and sweet and beautiful and freeing than any other voice that we can hear in this world. It is the very voice of the one who knits you together in your mother's womb. It is the very voice of the one who knew you before time began. It is the very voice of the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. It is the very voice of the one whose voice is in, significant, infinitely significant than any other voice that you'll ever listen to or hear in, in this world. And it's the voice of God which has the most amazing things to say about you and your name. Not because of what you have accomplished, nor does it ever go silent in the midst of failures and never measuring up. But his voice shouts loud over you because of who he is and what he has done and what he promises to do for you. Listen very carefully. All throughout scripture, guys, all throughout the Bible, we see God over and over and over again giving new names to people. And the names he gives 
is always as a result of who God is, what he has done, and what he promises to do for you. Now, next week, we're going to look at a guy named Abram. And Abram uh, was raised not in a home that loved the one true God and served the one true God. He actually lived in a home where he was raised to worship and make a name for other gods. But God comes to him. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 7, listen to all the things that God promises to do for Abram. He says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall, shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Listen, when God comes to someone and says that what I have done and who I am and what I promise to do for you is your new name, it's meant to be the deciding, the defining voice in your life. So in other words, who you really are is not based on what you have done or can do or your accomplishments. It's based 100% solely by God's grace. So who you are is not defined by what other people say about you or think of you or what you think about yourself or what uh, that you think you say about, your, about yourself. The 100% identity now over you of who you are is what God thinks about you. So your identity, your new name, who you are is now always found in who God is, what he has done, and what he promises to do for you. So listen very carefully. If you are in Christ this morning, God's voice shouts and speaks over you because he's given you a new name. He's given you a new name. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. If you are in Christ this morning, do you know who you are? You are his chosen one. This is who you are. So before you were even born, God knew you and he set his electing love upon you before you did anything, anything good, anything bad before you accomplished anything good or bad. God chose to save you and bring you to himself through the work and accomplishments of Christ. And so, what's more significant? Some human being choosing you for a job or a spouse based on who you are or what you have done or the God of all creation saying before the foundation of the world, you. You who sought to make a name for yourself. You who have done nothing but reject me and run from me. You who do deserve nothing but my displeasure. I choose you. Because I long for you to be with me, to be a part of my family, 
And before the foundation of the world, I have set my electing love upon you. I meet you and choose you in Christ and bring you into my voice, which says, you are now my beloved chosen one. You hear his voice? Listen to it. Speak it over you. Sing it over you. Because he speaks it over you. And this is who you are now. The God of all creation came to you and chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world and says, you are now mine. You. Out of all the peoples of the, of, of, of the world, you, he came to and chose in his son before you were even born. Do you hear his voice which says, you are now my beloved son and daughter? Ephesians 1.5 Tells us that in love, he predestined us for what? For adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Christ, you are now a son and daughter of the most high God. I mean, think about that. That's who you are. I mean, what is more significant than God giving you his name and allowing you to be a part of his family and now you're an heir of his beloved son, Jesus Christ's inheritance. You are royalty. Like what happened yesterday, the, the, the marriage that took place and that woman being brought into royalty, that, 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 that's, I mean, that compares nothing to what you got as a result of being in Christ. He's put a ring on your finger. You're a part of Christ's kingdom that you will reign with him forever. I mean, what else? Tell, tell me, what else in this world can give you this value and worth? Is there anything? Is there anything else that can give you this value and worth and significance? Is there any other title or position that you can strive to that will give you this value and worth and significance of being a child of the God of all creation? There's not. And no matter, listen very carefully, no matter what you do, this can never be taken from you. This identity can never, ever, ever be taken from you. It is eternal. And trust me, this is really important. On Friday, someone broke into our home, took our most valuable possessions. They're gone. Videos and pictures of our kids from birth, gone. We'll never have them again. Thankful that my wife and kids were not home because my identity as a father and a spouse could have been stolen from me, taken in an instant. All the other identities that you look to can be taken from you just like that. But this, my friends, you being a child of the Most High God will never, ever, ever be taken from you. It can never be stolen. So wear it. Put it on. And hear the voice of the God of all creation saying, I chose you in my son before the foundation of the world. You are mine and you are my beloved child whom I will love forever. 
It's good news, isn't it? And because you are his beloved child, and because you are one of his chosen ones, he sings over you. Listen, I'm about to read a verse that I know we say a lot. I'm going to tell you in just a moment why we speak it so much. Zephaniah 3.17, learn it, memorize it, sing it to your soul, because God sings it to your soul. He rejoices over you with gladness, quiets you by his love, exalts over you in loud singing. I mean, can you picture the heavenly father singing and rejoicing over his son, Jesus Christ? Loves him with an everlasting, eternal love that will never stop. Rejoices over him before time began and will never stop. And because if you're in Christ and hidden in Christ, adopted in Christ, now the Father's voice over his son Jesus is now over you. It's over you. Right now as you sit here this morning, your maker, your creator, the one that holds this universe in the palm of his hand, rejoices over you, sings over you, and yes, he actually does love you. I know for some of us that's really hard for us to believe. But what if we actually believe that to be true? I mean, we long for it to be true, right? I mean, we long for this to be true, that the God of all creation actually sings over me and rejoices over me and actually loves me. And we see, oh man, we see that not just with our heads, but with our heart, if we actually tasted this reality that the God of all creation rejoices and loves you, not your neighbor. Yes, he loves, his, loves your, same thing as your neighbor, but you. Most of us think, well, no, yeah, he would do that for someone else, but me? No, he wouldn't do that for me. I mean, we see, we see. We see if we can taste this, we know that this would change everything about us, right? I mean, this would change the motivations behind everything that we do. Because now it's not about my name, it would be about his name because I want you to know how great his name is as a result of the God of all creation sings over you and rejoices over us. Again, I, I know that we say this verse a lot and there's a reason why we do is because God speaks it over us, and so we'll continue to speak it over us. But listen, man, we just have a really hard time believing that this is true because we feel like we're so unworthy, don't we? We feel that we're so unworthy for God to actually sing and rejoice and love someone like me and someone like you. I mean, let's just be honest. And in one sense, it's true, right? I mean, in one sense, we are unworthy of God rejoicing over us and singing over us and actually loving us this morning. I mean, how, what, why would he? Why would God still sing over me and rejoice over me and love me when I desire to make a name for myself and desire, desire to rob him of his glory? I mean, I hate this about me. I know he hates this about me. And so why does he still love me? And why does he still love you when you still desire to seek a name for yourself? And, and why does he still... Rejoice over you, even in the midst of your failures and not being able to get it all together. Why does he do this? I'll tell you why. You ready to hear this? He does it for the sake and praise of his name. That's why he does it. It is undeserving, but he gives it to us for the sake and praise of his 
name. Listen to what God says over us in Isaiah 48. Listen, listen to why he does what he does. You, you see that? For the sake of my name, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from me, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, for my own glory, for my, for my own praise, for the, for, the, for the sake of my fame throughout this world, I do it. Ephesians 1. Why did God choose you in Christ before the foundation of the world? I mean, why would he meet me in the midst of my tower building and brokenness and choose me in Christ before the foundation of the world and make me a son and son of his? And why did he do the same for you? Ephesians verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has loved us in the beloved. God does everything that he does for the sake and praise and the glory and the fame of his name. Because he loves his glory and name above all things. He loves it more than you, which is a good thing. He is all about the glory and the fame of his name and to make his name glorious among a people that he created. And that's why he comes to us and gives us mercy and love when we do not deserve it. So that in return, we come back to him and say, hey, you are great. You are great for giving me this and I don't deserve it. So praise you. You see, in this story, God comes down, right? He comes down, and he comes to the people in the land of Shinar, the plain of Shinar. And he sees the city and the tower in which they had built. It's, he, so it's, it's like God had to come down. I mean, like their, their attempt was so small and insignificant to make a name for themselves that God had to come down and get on his hands and knees and see the little tiny tower and city. Because it was so small, it was so insignificant to pair, compare it to the greatness and glory of God. So he comes down and he, he, uh, he, he confuses their language. So they can't communicate anymore. They can't build anymore. One dude's talking Russian and then Chinese and Spanish and American. There's no such thing as that, if you didn't know. They couldn't build anymore, right? And so they, uh, they dispersed. I mean, one of, one of the reasons why they stayed together, I mean, God, God, God wanted them to, to fill the earth with his glory, right? But, but for, because of the fame of their name and security, they, they huddled together. But, but God comes down in his grace, confuses her language, because he says, listen, if I know if they stay together, their collective depravity and desire is only going to increase. And they're going to continue to make a name for themselves. So it confuses their language, disperses them over the face of the, war, uh, of the earth. And God did this because of his grace. And he did this for the sake of his praise and his name. And many years later, God will come down again, right? He would come down again in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself would take on flesh and blood and would come into this world filled with people that he created who are loving his name more than his name. He lived and walked and breathed among a people that he created to find their, their value and worth and significant 
in him, but they were believing the lie that, that they would find their value and worth and significant in the praise of people and for the sake of their name. And God himself, Jesus Christ, the valuable, worthy, significant son of God became nothing. He was mocked. He was made fun of. His name was spit on. And Jesus Christ, he gave up his rights. He gave up his title. He gave up his position. At the right hand of God, and what did he do? He became a servant. The infinite, precious, valuable, significant son of God humbled himself and became a servant for the sake and praise of his father's name. And why did he do this? He did this so he would die a humiliating death on the cross to give you and to give me his rights as the beloved, chosen son of the most high God. He did this ultimately for the sake and praise and the glory of his name. And so listen very carefully as we sit here this morning. We have to expand our worldview. As we sit here this morning, there is a name, guys, that is above every other name. That is the name and person of Jesus Christ. And his name is greater than your name. His glory is greater than your glory. His accomplishments are greater than any accomplishment that you can ever do in this life. And Christ himself has given you his name, his glory, and his accomplishments. And now, as a result, he is what defines you. And he's done this for the sake and praise of his name. And his voice trumps all the other voices in our lives that we ever, ever, ever hear. And so as a result of this, as a result of the infinite, beautiful, valuable, worthy, significant Son of God, as a result of what He has done for you, as a result of all the promises that our God promises to be for you and all the promises that He makes for His future grace of one day coming for you and creating a new heaven and a new earth, well, He will be your God and we will be in His presence where there's everlasting life and joy in His presence as a result of everything He promises to do. Isn't he worth living for now? And not your name? I mean, isn't the spreading of his fame and his name and his glory more significant than your fame? This, guys, is what I long for the most. This is what I desire most, to stand before you and to preach, not for the sake of my name, but declare to you the greatness of a God who sings and rejoices and loves someone like me and someone like you, a broken, people-pleasing tower builder. Who cares about my name? When we have this, when we have this truth of who God is and what he has done for you, is there any other name working, uh, worthy to make great? Not my name. Not your name, his name. Because you know why? Life isn't about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. 
It's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's not about my glory. It's not about your glory. It's not about finding our value and worth and significance in what we do, our titles, positions, accomplishments, all those things. It's about him and his fame. So listen very carefully. As we leave this place, don't, don't get me wrong. You, you go and you strive to be the best employee and spouse and parent that you can be, but always, always, always remember that they're not your primary identity. And then they will not give you the true value and worth and significance that your soul longs for. It's found in your name. It's found in Christ. You are a chosen, beloved son of the Most High God. That's who you are. That's who you are. And you are valuable and you're worth something and significant because God says that you are in Christ. So wear it. Believe it. Listen to his voice. And go and strive to make much of him for the sake of his praise in your marriage and your workplace to your kids in humility. Serve your spouse, not for the sake of your name, but for the sake of his name as he has served you. Love others who hate your name as he has loved you for the sake of his name. Rejoice over those who are recognized over you for the sake of his name as he rejoices over you. And listen very carefully as you leave. Listen to this. It's okay. It's okay if you're not the mom that you expect yourself to be and what other people expect you to be. It's okay. It's okay if you cannot measure up in the eyes of your spouse. It's okay if I'm not the preacher that I, that I long to be. It's okay, guys, if we do not get the praise that we desire because we have something better. You have the voice of your heavenly Father which sings and rejoices over you, speaks over you. And you know what? His singing and his voice is always, always, always better because he always sings and speaks a better and more beautiful word than anyone else in this world can speak over us. So listen. Listen to his voice. Cling to it. Wear it for the sake and praise of his name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are humbled this morning as a result of who you are and what you have done for us. For we are a people who long for value and worth and significance, and we are a people who have sought that in our own name and the praise of people and our accomplishments and our titles and positions. But Father, bring us back to you and to the reality in your voice that you sing over us and rejoice over us because we are connected to your Son. That we have value, that we have worth, that we're significant because we are hidden and we are one with the valuable, significant Son of God. And your singing and rejoicing over us and speaking over us will never fade, it will never, it will never go away into eternity. You will sing over your Son Jesus and you will sing over us and so we praise you and thank you for that and so as we leave this place, Father, we ask that you would help us to continue to hear your voice and listen to your voice which is sweeter and more beautiful and more powerful and more freeing than any other voice that we can hear. We thank you 
for that voice, for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.